It's the Shop Stewards Corner and it's uh, four minutes after 8pm. Every Monday we bring to you the latest from the shop floor and uh, we touch on issues uh, facing working people. And uh, if uh, you have an issue that you have in your workplace that you'd like us to discuss on the Shop Stewards Corner, feel free to send us an email on talk at metrofm.co.za. Send us a tweet as well. You can also uh, uh, send that tweet through on at metrofmsa. Uh, at Metro FMSA. You can also uh, tweet me on at AYKAWIKAMANGUBANGUMSHABA on uh, Twitter. If you it's a bit more sensitive, uh, do uh, drop me a, a message there. Follow you back and you can send through a message outlining what it is and uh, we'll certainly try and get uh, that uh, particular story to a wider audience. Now today we are taking a look at uh, some of the issues that came through from the medium-term budget policy statement that Finance Minister Tito Mboweni uh, ha- uh, announced last week and uh, suggesting, I guess, that um, public ser- sector wage bill is uh, unsustainable and that uh, uh, many of uh, uh, the perks that uh, uh, those in government have become uh, familiar with are going to be cut fundamentally. And uh, uh, he said uh, for every 100 rand the state collected in tax revenue, 46 rand was spent on paying the salaries of uh, public servants. Now, the wage bill is around uh, 600 billion rand, representing about 35% of uh, projected annual spending. And uh, he warned that uh, this did not necessarily meaning, uh, mean the cutting of the number of warm bodies that uh, service uh, many of us, but uh, more about, I guess, dealing with uh, the issues of compensation. It certainly does open up a wide gamut of issues because if you look at frontline service delivery in this country, you have very widespread vacancies that affect the quality and effectiveness of the delivery of services. And yet, you know, many pe- as many people are suggesting, do we really need as many, uh, how would I put it, as many deputy ministers as we have? Do we need, you know, uh, all the deputy ministers, all of the DGs, all of the DDGs, and all of the people that uh, are occupying the uh, upper echelons of the uh, public service? And uh, more importantly, if you look at intergovernmental fiscal relations, uh, if you th- take national government, provincial government, and even uh, a local government, do we need provinces? Uh, Maybe that might be a question uh, for some of the people who, uh, uh, I guess, are talking about all manner of cost-cutting. And the big question I'm asking is, if we look at the concurrent functions that are being undertaken by many of our provincial administrations, do we really need uh, that kind of administrative complexity and that administrative function? Uh, if indeed we are serious about cutting uh, this uh, wage bill as part of the uh, reforms that many of the ratings agencies are suggesting is necessary uh, to uh, be able to, I guess, wade our way out of uh, the debt impasse that we find ourselves with. I'm just putting that out there. I'd love to hear your perspectives. Give me a ring on 89 I have on the line Research and Policy Manager at the South African Federation of Trade Unions, Nomashubi Chagucha. Also have uh, uh, Sidney Khara, Head of Policy Development at the uh, National Education, Health and Allied Workers Union, Nehau. Nomashubi and uh, Sydney, a good evening to the pair of you and welcome to Metro FM Talk. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having us on the show. No, Mashubi, I, w- I want to maybe start, I guess, with you and uh, some of your reflections um, on uh, some of the comments and utterances and this entire discourse, I must add, uh, around public sector wages. And, you know, many people have even gotten to the point of saying, yeah, let's just slash the wage bill. Uh, people suggesting 10% across the board. Um, and, and oftentimes, I guess, you know, it lacks the kind of nuance that we need to understand 
you know, whether or not, firstly, our state is fit for purpose with the current service needs that it has. And if not, uh, what uh, role, I guess, uh, personnel and uh, human resources play in ensuring that we're able to service uh, every corner of this country? What, what do you make of some of the utterances that have been made, not only by Tito Mboweni during that MTBPS, but even earlier by the National Treasury? We know the DG made a suggestion that, you know, they're going to go before the unions and uh, try and see uh, whether or not the unions would be able to buy a 10% cut across the board or a 5 to 7% cut across the board. What's the view of SAFTU? Okay. Um, firstly, I'd just like to point out, uh, Yabonga, to you and your listeners that the public sector wage bill is firstly a policy intru- instrument, right? Mm. Which means it could be used for any purpose that the government steps. And in some countries, we've seen it being used as a social insurance policy, especially in countries that have had um, insufficient sources of stable um, employment. And in others, they use it as well as a way of absorbing graduates or re- reducing social tensions in the economy. And right now, there are two ways in which the debate is actually split, but mainstream media has just been focusing on the wage bill in terms of the proportion to to GDP. But I'd like to present both sides before I even make my, um, my final comments. And the first one is that despite the fact that after 1994, the current government has had to service a larger population, the public sector employment actually before um, 1995 was sitting at 15% in terms of total labor force. Mm. And then currently it's at 9% in terms of the total labor force. And compared to the actual population that South Africa has to service, our our wage bill is actually quite small. Only 3.1% of the population is actually employed in the public sector. And compared to other middle-income countries that have an average of about 6% um, of their population employed in the in the public space. So those are the two things that we, we just have to account when mm. we say the public wage bill is ballooning, it's unsustainable. What do we mean in terms of what? And also, if you look at some of the international standards in terms of recommendations, um, in terms of civil servants like doctors, as compared to the population where the WHO has a standard actually where it recommends that one doctor to about a thousand um, members of the population. And currently only India is meeting that standard. Mm. And they are spending about 8% of their 2.5 plus minus trillion GDP. So now when you move over to South Africa's, um, when you analyze it on, in terms of GDP expenditure, there are mixed views. Internationally, we've been told that um, the, the spending is big. It, it consumes a large proportion of our budget and our GDP. And the reason for this, firstly, is that we have seen a growing need for high skills um, and managerial profile need in the public sector. Sure. And then also we've had to improve the pay and conditions in that sector, hence the OCD that was implemented, the, the OSD that was implemented. Mm. And then also... No, no, I, w- I want us to pause there slightly. I need to take a quick spot break. But uh, um, okay. I, I certainly hear your, your argument, which is really around, uh, I guess, you know, some of the uh, vacancies and the challenges we continue to have. Uh, and uh, mm. we'll come back to some of those issues. And that is, Sydney, hold the line there for me for a second. Uh, after the spot break, I'll come back and get some of your views. And we'll also touch on, uh, I guess, the issue that Nomashubi raises there around occupational-specific dispensations. 
13 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned into Metro FM Talk. It's our Shop Stewards Corner where we uh, take stock of uh, some of the uh, big issues in the world of labor. And today we're taking a look at the public sector wage bill. And I'm joined uh, for this conversation by Nomatlubi Chagucha, who's the research and policy manager at uh, SAFTU, and also joined by head of policy development at uh, Nehau, uh, Sydney Kharan. That is Sydney. And uh, good evening to you. And uh, I guess I pose the same question to you that uh, I posed to uh, Noma Shubi. Uh, at least of all for you, as Nahau, uh, who are the negotiating counterparts with uh, the Department of Public uh, Service and Administration, which negotiates on behalf of uh, the uh, uh, government. Uh, I'd be interested to hear from you what you make of some of the proposals that have come through, not only in the MTBPS, but even in prior uh, announcements, including that by the DG Dondo Mukhajani, where uh, a wide array of figures have been bandied about, about, I guess, the sacrifice that uh, public sector workers are going to have to take uh, for the f- uh, fiscal sustainability of our country. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting us. Well, we've said in our statement already that uh, the proposal coming from government, especially because they are made in public, which we don't understand why, are non-starter because in the first instance, most of the proposals are taking us backwards from 1995 and the 1990s, where the default position of government is to look to cut public service wage bill, which means that it's a political decision as to which class in society has to make a sacrifice whenever there's economic crisis. Mm. So once again, they are resorting to that. When we know, for example, that uh, in 2017, there was uh, irregular expenditure of about 50 billion or 52 billion, and the following year, 52 billion, and now we're looking at 61 billion, and you don't hear anything about that. Similarly, nobody can tell you about the outrageous contract that government enters into with the outsourcing company, which are hemorrhage on the state coffers. Because they, for example, if you take uh, Bosasa or or such institutions, those are initially they are put across as cost saving and meant to reduce the public service wage bill. But over time, because of the nature of those companies and the nature of the SLA agreements they enter into, they start to increase and become a burden. But they are never even, you know, synthesize and quantify as to how much this is costing the state. When you can insource, uh, it's a completely different picture. You can take, for example, Sandra, which is now an agency, as to when it was just a division or unit within the transport department, how much it would have been costing the state vis-a-vis how much it is costing now as a corporation. Hmm. You know, so these are, that's why we're saying it's an unstarter because also government is just Spending money in supporting the SOEs, which are wasting, it's not raising anything with regard to the executives, the fees of the board members, but it's just focusing on the public service workers. When they are actually, in our view, underpaid relative to the private sector, you take for nurse or doctors and so on. And when you want to cut their average wages, then they are going to move to the private sector. You're undermining the capability of the state to deliver 
effectively. So in that Sydney, I, I think you make a very good point, which is, you know, there are other areas where there is extensive wastage of uh, state resources and, and you think maybe the starting point should be those other areas. Uh, but I want to hear your perspective. Uh, if tomorrow, Ditomboweni and his deputy, uh, Dr. David Masondo, placed before Nehau alongside, I guess, the DPSA minister, Senzo Mkunu, said, look, guys, uh, we want you to uh, freeze your wage uh, demands or to moderate your demands for the next three to five years or so. Um, and uh, we also want, I guess, to do away with occupational specific dispensation. We also want to introduce a grade zero into the public sector, which would mean that, uh, um, you know, uh, entry level workers come in at a lower uh, pay scale, but also with uh, uh, limited benefits or less benefits relative to, I guess, what is currently taking place. What would your view be as now? Well, we said we are going to reject that. We and it's not being unreasonable or any militancy posture. It's really on the basis of the fact that already since 2014, when government began to decelerate expenditure, if you can look at the figures that are there in the treasury, mm. there's been actual decline in in public service. I mean, establishment. They've been not filling the vacancies. It's actually, actually, they've been using attritional retrenchments in a way to to make up for for, for reducing the burden. Mm. So, and 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 even in government, we are beginning to see interns being employed as a substitute for actual full-time workers. Similarly, with outsourcing, the same logic of replacing. Uh, decent wage with uh, poor wage, mm. so it's it, 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 it's unacceptable okay. that you you have that all the sure. time as a default position of government. Okay, no Mashubi, what would Saf to say? Not. What would Saf to say if I guess the same package was placed before you? Do away with OSTs, freeze. Uh, wage uh, demands or I guess moderate them to a certain level and then uh, also create a grade zero, grade minus one within uh, the uh, public sector, lower level of entry by way of pay and uh, benefits as well. well what would SAFTU do? On this one, Ayabonga, we're standing with our fellow CDE. For us, a distinction between personal spending and any other spending is not attainable because per- personnel, they also deliver in terms of services and spending mm. in the economy. And as SAFTU, we've actually been advocating that we need a stimulus package of up to $500 billion. Mm. And that's the only way the country is actually going to grow and see growth. Mm. Where are we going to get that money? Where, where are we going to get the $500 billion? I was hoping you were going to ask that <laughs> question. <I> am. <laughs> sure, yeah, where are we going to get it? Most neoliberal economists, that's top of their head. Where's the money going to come yes, from? We yes. have the PIC that's sitting with over 2.1 trillion in terms of assets. Mm. Of your we members' money, U- right? Yeah, it's your members' money. Our members' money. Yes, yes. We have the UIF that is constantly in surplus and is currently um, mm. at, wa- at, one, at 170 billion rand. Yes. You tell me in a country where unemployment is sitting at 38% using the extended definition, mm. how is it that we have an unemployment fund that is running a surplus year after year? Hey. Let's pause there for a second. We'll come back to, to the issue of the UIF and the PIC and uh, the role that they can potentially play in a stimulus. And uh, certainly, I guess, uh, some interesting issues here that are being raised. And I'd be interested to hear whether or not uh, the uh, finance ministry is also alive to some of the suggestions that have been made by Labour. And I, I certainly share that sentiment by Noma Shubi there that in a context of 
crisis and catastrophic levels of underemployment of human resources in our country. It doesn't make sense to have an unemployment insurance fund sitting at uh, and, uh, uh, over $150 billion in surplus. And we know the UIF has been doing uh, certain things in terms of reskilling and retraining workers, but... Um, Maybe some of that uh, surplus should be uh, dedicated towards the stimulus that uh, my uh, two colleagues here are speaking to. I'd love to hear your perspectives. Give me a ring on 89 When we come back, we'll also take a look at some of your tweets. Tell us what you think about what ought to happen to the uh, public sector wage bill. 23 minutes it is after 8 p.m. I'm in conversation with uh, the research and policy manager at SAFTU, uh, Nomatlubi Chagucha, and uh, Sydney Khara, head of policy development at Nehao. And we're talking about uh, the uh, public sector wage bill. And uh, Nomatlubi, let me give you an opportunity, I guess, to outline uh, what you are talking to there when it comes to the stimulus. And I'll also get into Dade Sydney's views there on whether or not we should be looking to mobilize the resources uh, that find expression across society in its entirety, and those include uh, the funds of working people that uh, um, you know are sitting, for instance, in the Public Investment Corporation, $2 trillion or so in assets under management, and even the funds in the UIF, which are also working people's monies, uh, over $150 billion there in surplus. And Nomad uh, Lubi, uh, you're still talking about that stimulus. Yes, I, and if, you know, I, um, South Africa, in terms of our government spending, we comprise about a third of our GDP, right? So if we were to cut the, our expenditure by 3%, that would, have, that would ultimately cut the GDP by about 1.1%. Mm-hmm. That would take us straight to a recession. And if you would listen to the minister, he, didn't, he mentioned cutting and freezing, but he didn't say by how much because he recognizes that that that, that, that um that possibility and where he would be taking us in terms of that policy direction. But when you think about it, and now you inject about a 500 billion stimulus into the economy, imagine what that would do and the effects that would do in terms of growth. Mm-hmm. Sydney, uh, yeah. some of your own views. I mean, uh, should we be having a, a candid conversation in this uh, depressed economic environment with some of your members to say, look, comrades, you've got your monies sitting in different places, uh, looking for a return in the very speculative financial markets. Surely some of that money should be mobilized in the kind of stimulus that uh, Nomad Shrubi is suggesting. What's your view on that? Yes, we've, we've been calling for that, including the productive investment that the PIC itself could play. Mm. Uh, but you know, we have to also be careful because, you know, after the 2008 capitalist crisis, we had a counter-cyclical policy stance. We had a year after year some kind of stimulus expenditure by the fiscals was made, but there was no stimulation as such of the private sector investment. And until 2014, where government began to decelerate expenditure. So it is an important intervention that we support. But we would also say that alongside that, we need to have fundamental change at a microeconomic level, especially because our economy, firstly, is increasingly internationally owned by monopolies who are not South African, so they are really you know, hemorrhaging out all their profits, receipts, and there's no reinvestment in the economy. So that we need a more dynamic economy that allows new participants to enter. But also, you also deal with a lot of profiteering, for example, that is taking place 
in the private health industry, which is undermining public policy. We are always having high interest rates because in the medical in industries like medical private health private health industry, the the the, the tariffs are always very high, which affect the average inflation rates. So it's a whole package of interventions that must support even those uh, stimulus interventions that government can come up with to to get us back to a growth path. So you know, it, it, we we think a stimulus has that's important, but mm. it can be one of the aspects of, of what government can do. But, Prasidni, I, I mean, you make it seem like, you know, this is other people's money. Surely, you know, as the owners of the capital, you have a right to say to the GEPF and say, look, guys, we know what your investment philosophy and mandate is, but we are saying for, or, or in order to respond to the depressed economic conditions that we find now, uh, let's uh, look for a different capital allocation or asset allocation mix. Yes. Um, in fact, that's why I'm saying we need to be careful because uh, there have been mistakes made by PIC in its own investment. I mean, the the Convention of Inquiry has shown that mm. uh, where a lot of workers deferred wages, which is what we would like to call it, sure. can be misused or misallocated. But also, it's also true that these two 1.92 trillion rands are assets that are already investment by and large. So it's, it's, it's already a capital that is in the economy in different ways. So there will be very little room one can imagine available to, to tap on, on the PIC. Also, it, it, its own actual estimations are starting to deteriorate, uh, in the long term. So, there is room to use PIC, but as we say, it's, it's, it's but one of the sources. There's, mm. a, there's a massive accumulation of cash that sure. capital or private business is sitting on, which is not investing in the economy. Mm. Mm. And it can't just be workers only who are willing to put uh, their resources but, at risk. But, but in that is Sydney, surely the same, the same logic should apply. The PIC is one of the largest investors uh, in the listed environment here in South Africa, and I would assume that many of the businesses you are saying are sitting on cash are in the listed space, and the PIC, as an investor, surely should take a more activist stance to say, look, instead of paying you know, uh, uh, out dividends or, or doing share buybacks or even sitting on this cash, why do you not reinvest it in productive activity, which employs people and actually gets people into gainful employment? Yes, yes, we agree with that entirely, including avoiding to just outside the country okay. with, our, with our savings. All right. And then on OSTs, I mean, no much will be uh, the view on this occupational specific dispensations. Uh, uh, the finance minister made quite a meal of it uh, in his particular speech saying, you know, they want to do away with these OSTs and uh, even, I guess, change how they negotiate, uh, uh, you know, uh, wages uh, in the public service. What, what is the view of SAFTU on that? Um, that's a very hard blow for SAFTU in the sense that unions fought very hard for that OST in terms of regulating pay and ensuring that... Um, working conditions are actually met within the public sector. And it was also a way to ensure that we attract some of the skills that are critically needed to deliver in the public sector. So now to do away with that, and for me the problem is not, it's going to affect our frontline services, and those are not even the problem, but the what's been blowing up our wage bill is actually the top six brackets and with, uh, with Cyril Ramaphosa coming into power, we've seen almost a deputy 
although he's condensed some of the departments, but the actual number of deputy ministers have gone up the roof. And mm. those are the ones that are blowing up the public wage um, bill. But now to have to do away with the OCD, which is meant to attract those critical skills in the front lines, that's a, that's a serious blow. And, and, you know, just on that, uh, I mean, Nomashubi, because the bigger question is, you know, how do we resolve even the kind of wage inequality that we see within the public service? I mean, the point you're raising is that, you know, uh, uh, the nature of the public service is that, you know, it's like a carrot, right? And then, you know, the lower down you go, the I guess the skinnier the uh, remuneration and the benefits become. Uh, how do we then, I guess, make that distribution more equitable in the process of confronting this public sector wage bill? And that was the whole point of the OCD as well, to make sure there is that equity between um, the different um, brackets. And now, if you're going to do away with it, what measure are they going to introduce to ensure there's not an, a high inequality and in a wage differential between um, the income brackets? Mm-hmm. Let, let me give you, Dada Sydney, the last word uh, uh, on this conversation. Unfortunately, we have run out of time and uh, we're going to have to leave it here. But um, just the views of Nehao on uh, the occupational specific dispensations and maybe some of the, uh, I guess, clues that you're going to give us about uh, how you're going to negotiate in the ne- coming uh, months as uh, the uh, last agreement, I guess, uh, lapses. Well, uh, let me just say we shall wait for what the government comes and proposes before us. But as far as the union is concerned at the moment, what has been agreed upon has been agreed upon, must be implemented. Uh, it's not only the way that they're raising, they're also raising the issue of the paid progression that it will have to be reversed. So those issues are really meant to you know, erode the gains of the workers. We are a trade union. We exist to advance and improve the working conditions of workers as well as their communities. We cannot negotiate downwards to make them uh, impoverished. So we are going to reject that. We we can have a discussion about where other sources of uh, resources can be found that can make up for addressing the the, the deficit and public debt. But we we cannot have a discussion about making the conditions work for our members. Mm. We'll have to leave it there. Nomashubi Chagucha and Sydney Khara from Saftu and Nehawa, respectively. Thank you so much to the pair of you for joining us this evening. And uh, uh, we'll certainly uh, watch this one closely, I can assure you. It's not the last time we're going to be talking about this one here on Metro FM Talk. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. That was uh, on this Monday, our shop steward.